welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I'm Carrie Peffley. I teach in the philosophy department. And I'm Anne-Marie Koistra. I teach in the history department. And this morning we're joined by Professor Dan Ritchie from the English department, who is a wonderful professor and kind of the creator of the humanities program, is on the other team, but will be joining us for humanities too, and will give us a little preview of what to expect over interim. So, Dan Ritchie, professor of English, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Um, We are wondering if you can just give us a little bit of an overview of what students in Humanities 2 will be reading and learning about. Humanities 2 really falls into two parts. The first half is on Reformation and Renaissance, especially theology, Mm -hmm. but also art and music. And the second half is Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare. (laughs) culminating in your production of Henry V. Wonderful. Um, What are some of the key texts that students will be reading over the course of Humanities II? They'll read key texts related to the Protestant Reformation from Luther and then his Catholic opponent, Erasmus. Mm -hmm. And I think students will be surprised by how much they sympathize with the Catholic Mm -hmm. Erasmus. They'll also read primary text by John Calvin, Anabaptist writers, and Catholic reformers who came in about the 1550s. Then when we turn to Shakespeare, in addition to Henry V, we'll also read Machiavelli, because Machiavelli talks about that creation of the early modern period, the nation state, and that's what we see in Shakespeare's Henry V as well. Fantastic. So of all these texts that we get to read over J-term, What's your favorite one? Shakespeare has to be the, the favorite one. There's so many, so many great lines. Uh, courtesies. Uh, oh, shoot. Are you going to be able to edit this? <laughs> we, we'll, we're just going to go. Yeah, Sam, Sam will edit it. <laughs> Sam might appreciate, though, the, uh, the banter. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice customs must curtsy to great kings, says oh. uh, Catherine at the end of Henry V. Mm-hmm. In other words, we get to do what we want. Mm-hmm. And that uh, is reflected in Machiavelli, uh-huh. who believes in uh, the power of the prince. So those are great texts. But actually reading Luther and Calvin and Erasmus for the first time is is really, um, really speaks to, to many students. And I always love going back to them. Mm-hmm. I do find that and it's been a while since I've taught humanities too, but it's striking to me how much of an impact reading some of those theological texts has on the students, especially um, the ones who say have grown up Lutheran, but have never read Luther or have grown up Calvinist, but haven't really read Calvin. Although that's, I feel like, slightly more unusual for a Reformed person to have never read I know Calvin. Carrie's looking meaningfully at me because <laughs> I grew up Reformed and Calvinist, and we mm-hmm. definitely did read Calvin. Yeah. So, Yes. And did you grow up in a church that used the Heidelberg Catechism? Oh, yes, sir. Well, I'm excited that this term we're going to be using the first couple of questions from the Heidelberg Catechism, and that's a a great favorite among a small number of people, like (laughs) Anne-Marie Koistra (laughs) and and me, and uh, I think the students will like it, too, because the first question is, who is your only comfort? Mm -hmm. And it's very pastoral, and it's theologically Mm -hmm. profound. Mm -hmm. My hope is that students come to see the drama of 
these doctrines and, mm-hmm. and dogmas and theological beliefs, that these are not just things to be memorized, but they're things that people lived and died for mm-hmm. in the 16th century, and they're things that can continue to inspire us today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Dan, um, because we're going to be reading Erasmus and Luther first, um, maybe you want to give a little bit of a preview as to what those two are talking about in that text. They're talking about salvation, mm-hmm. how we're saved, the importance of works, mm-hmm. and the place of, of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great Erasmus scholar here in the Twin Cities uh, named Jim Tracy. He's really internationally renowned, and he loves Erasmus. And he, he thinks Erasmus is ultimately the better Greek scholar, but mm-hmm. over his career he's come to like Luther quite a bit too, mm. and he concedes that Luther is the better debater. Mm. I don't think you'll find that the quarrel between Luther and Erasmus is finished by the time we finish the course, but um, I hope at least it, it clarifies what place good works really do have in your Christian life, and what do you really think about grace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think it sets up an important con- uh, connection to Bonhoeffer as we think mm-hmm. about, again, sure. the relationship between grace and our obligations mm-hmm. in terms of the subjective response to the objective dying mm-hmm. on the cross, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think it provides a nice sort of dis- discussion point even in semester four. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The humanities program is all about connections. Mm-hmm. And I know you've talked about Aquinas and natural law. Mm-hmm. How much can we learn from nature? Right. And right. what we, what can't we learn mm-hmm. from nature? Um, it really can, it connects with Jonathan Edwards, right. many things that uh, students will encounter later mm-hmm. and have encountered in Humanities 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for you, what is the high point in Humanities 2? And I think I can guess. Well, it is the it is the play, and one thing that I think students will find is that they come to like each other more during <laughs> Humanities too, because you have so much fun during the play, mm-hmm. and you have to work together on a project. That's really key to this whole program. Not that we have to like each other all the time, <laughs> but that there is a bond that's created in mm-hmm. your cohort as a whole with all hundred and whatever students mm-hmm. and in your small group, because you'll remember what part you played. You'll remember what lines you forgot, perhaps. <laughs> right. And that will provide the basis truly for better learning mm-hmm. as time goes on and for friendships over, we hope, many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you have a sort of a particular memory of a maybe noteworthy performance of Henry V that that you've seen uh, from students here at Bethel? I try to get students to see the different regional differences, which come out very strongly in this play. And so one of my pistol characters adopted a kind of hillbilly accent to show how differently uh, pistol talked from the others. (laughs) And, uh, that was hilarious. Oh, that is fan- and and remind uh, the list. Some of the listeners actually haven't read Henry V. So, who is Pistol in this um, Henry V play? Uh, Pistol's a, a terrible braggart uh, and a, and a coward, and he's uh, always boasting of how great he is. Mm-hmm. And so, to to set him apart, this is what this student 
did. And other students set apart the French characters with their uh, frou-frou Frenchy mm -hmm. accents yeah. and, and so on. So um, so that's Pistol, and there, there are many tensions within uh, Henry's army, and uh, Pistol contributes to those tensions. Certainly. Carrie, do you have a particular memory of a Henry V performance? I know this is going way way back for yeah, you. Yeah, this would be four years ago. Um, I mean, the the first time I ever taught Humanities II um, during interim, which was with Dan, the first time we ever did that, um, my students got the French scene. Um, and I just remember how mortified they were to start out and how wonderfully they did it by the time they got mm -hmm. there. Um, and so my very strong memory was seeing how hard these young women worked to learn all their lines in French um, and just ended up doing a really, really good job. I think that my students, there was there was definitely one year where we had the leak scene and there was a great deal of stuffing of the leak in other students' mouths. I mean, there was a <laughs> lot of um, license taken, mm -hmm. shall we say, with the leak. Yeah. Um, and then we also have our students, if they are forgetting a line, say, prithy. Mm -hmm. And I had one student who completely forgot, like, line after line, but she kept saying, prithy. with great boldness, prithy. And I thought that was... <laughs> and the students were just cracking up, of course. But, um, yeah. So, if you're going to if you're going to forget your lines, forget it boldly, I guess. That's so, right. Yeah. It's better to memorize your lines. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, of course, I'm sweating profusely every time she says pretty. But um, anyway, right. that's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're reading so many books over a three-week period. So it's sort of this is maybe going to sound like an insane question. But if you were going to read one other text oh, wow. from this time period that we don't get to read... Would you have any recommendations? Wow. We're already doing so much theology. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure I'd add any more theology. Um, another Shakespeare uh, play, yeah. of course. Uh, th there are other great uh, Henry plays. Mm -hmm. the, the one that comes before Henry V is, guess what? Henry IV. Fourth. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and that shows, that shows Henry as a, a young uh, a young man and a kind of a prodigal son. But there is so much great poetry around 1600 uh, when Shakespeare lives. Mm -hmm. uh, there's tremendous uh, love, love poetry and then ultimately religious poetry uh, by the time we get to the 1630s and students end up loving people like George Herbert and mm -hmm. John Donne oh, right. and Sir Philip Sidney. Uh, this is the time... London is about the size of the city of Duluth, and it produces Shakespeare and Sidney and Marlowe wow. and Herbert and Milton. That's a what's wrong with Duluth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. They're not living up to their potentials up I guess there. Not. Man. <laughs> well, we got the Edmund Fitzgerald. That's a pretty yeah. great. That's oh. a pretty great song. Out yeah. Of Duluth. Well, there we go. I guess. So, Dan, um, the Humanities, in some ways, was kind of a little bit of your brainchild, was it not, the program? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, can you say a little bit about what you were thinking as you set about kind of ambitiously creating this alternative path to general education from the 
Christianity and Western culture. Like, what what were you thinking? And That's what my wife says all the time. I bet. <laughs> what, what were you, you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I taught CWC uh, for seven years and had a very good experience doing it. But I noticed that we repeated a number of things that happen in uh, Intro to Creative Arts. Uh, we talked about art, for instance, mm -hmm. considerably. We also repeated a lot of things that happen in Christian theology. We talked about the, the fourth century disputes and the Renaissance, excuse me, the Reformation quite a bit. We also did some writing, which happens in the inquiry class now. And so my idea was to economize a little bit by um, saving students a course out of the five quilt courses. And instead of repeating those things, to, to do the course chronologically. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I really missed is that we never read any full books. And in, in my view, what really stays with us are relationships, first of all, to teachers and fellow students, but also with books mm -hmm. over time. The dirty secret of humanities is that these are books that really can never fully be taught because they create questions that stick with us our entire lives. And that's what I wanted students to have an experience of. That mm -hmm. is something I had experienced. And so by giving students the opportunity to read all or nearly all of Augustine's Confessions, mm -hmm. of Dante's Purgatory, of Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship, of numerous Federalist Papers and so on, we're, we're covering much of the same ground as the quilt courses, but we're enabling students to establish relationships that will last a lifetime. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, I appreciate that it's relationships with other students, with faculty, but then also with books and ideas. Mm -hmm. I think that's the foundation of a liberal arts education. It is indeed, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. Hence the podcast, Bookish at Bethel, right. since we are. Yeah. So for you, I mean, you mentioned in your undergraduate experience, you had this kind of experience. What was a book that you have had a relationship with, so to speak, over the many years? Uh, it was Plato's Republic, mm. for sure. There's a moment I was doing my senior thesis in college on the treatment of tyranny in the Republic, which comes out at the very end of, mm -hmm. of, of that work. But in the beginning, there's a very impatient young man named Thrasymachus who wants to have his way with Socrates. Uh, he wants simply to end the argument. And Socrates says to him, did you think that you could ask questions that require a lifetime to answer and simply come in, state your position, and leave? We're talking about something that is about the meaning of life. And that one phrase really struck me, uh, that I couldn't do this paper and just get it out the door, that this was something that I had to sit with and live with. Mm -hmm. This was on the notion of tyranny in Plato's Republic. And what Plato ultimately says is that tyranny results from an abuse of democracy. Do you think that's a relevant question for us to continue to ask today? I think it is. Mm -hmm. So that was back in 1977, and I've still not quite figured it out, and it hasn't let go of me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, too, about I mean, all the great artists, 
often return to certain scenes and certain mm-hmm. images because those things also stick with them. And I think that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there books that you think have stood out for our students in the humanities program more than others? Uh, no, no question. Uh, in humanities for we generally ask students to do a portfolio of some kind of their favorite books. So don't sell your books. Yes. Keep your books, all of them. Um, because we ask students to go back and uh, they frequently go back to Augustine. Mm. And I think one reason is because Augustine, the Confessions is about how we order our loves. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple question, very difficult to answer. Uh, they go back to um, uh, they go back to Dante, to to the Purgatory. They they love uh, Bonhoeffer. I think your students uh, may end up going back to to Aristotle. Ours mm-hmm. go back to Plato. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's often those really difficult books from humanities one. And I know yeah. you, you, the students are glad to be done with them, <laughs> but they 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 do uh, they do stick stick mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've noticed, and maybe this was just sort of surprising to me, how many students in Humanities 4 come back to Tocqueville? Oh, hooray! Yes, hooray. I, thought, I thought you would like that. I'm just repeatedly the, the mores and, mm-hmm. and the way that you change mm-hmm. a, a society and creation of laws. Tocqueville remains important. Oh, you have so much to look forward to in <laughs> Humanities 3. You have Burke and Tocqueville. Mm-hmm. Both so coming exciting. at you. That's, That's right. Mm-hmm. And Thomas Paine, the, the mm-hmm. argument between Burke and Paine over the French Revolution is, it still informs what we're arguing about today. So It really does. Just wait. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah, it does. It's absolutely true. Um, so one of the questions we like to ask our guests is, what's on your nightstand that you're reading just for fun, Dan? I'm reading a novel by Trollope called Orley Farm. Uh, it's not the first novel or the second you'd read by Trollope, but you should read <laughs> the first novel, which is The Warden. <laughs> oh. So uh, so that's the that's the. Well, can you say something about this book? Like, um, this is he is a contemporary of Dickens, and I think he's actually a more profound analyst mm. and critic of society than Dickens is. Uh, he's he's very funny. Uh, he creates a a geographical area uh, called uh, Barsetshire. Uh, so it's a little bit like uh, Garrison Keillor or maybe even a new a, a whole world uh, trying to avoid comparing it to Harry Potter because there's no magic in it. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, novels of, of novel of manners. Um, it's sort of like Jane Austen uh, meets Charles Dickens, put it that way. Oh, but he, Sounds good. Trollope yeah. doesn't fit into any category. Uh, Barchester is a, a lovely um, country, uh, a country shire, so you might expect him to be more conservative. But he's also very critical of the church and established institutions. So okay, well, and just in case one of our uh, alums is listening, what do you want Hillary to get you for Christmas, Dan Ritchie? <laughs> Oh, I I need something to replace my iPod so I can listen to more novels by Trollope. Perfect. Well, it's a great thing. Let it be known, <laughs> Hillary. Yeah. All right. Well, what's on your nightstand, Anne-Marie? Oh, well, I am right now reading um, Flannery O'Connor's short stories. I just finished Good Country People for about the 10th millionth oh, time. Mm-hmm. And boy, 
it's just I don't even know what to say about Flannery O'Connor, but it's she just writes so well, and mm-hmm. these characters are just so fascinating, and the deeper ideas in there too are are just great. So um, that's mm-hmm. a pleasure to read, and you can it's they're short stories, so it's a non-committal kind of a thing. I appreciate that. What about you, Carrie? What's on your nightstand? So speaking of short stories, I'm flopping back and forth on my nightstand between Sherwood Anderson's. Oh, yeah. Um, Winesburg, Ohio. Um, and then also Nora McInerney, McInerney Permot's Laughing is Okay, Crying is Cool Too, or Crying is Okay, Laughing is Cool Too. I can never remember which way it goes. Um, so a little bit of memoir, a little bit of short stories, depending on my mood before bed. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's our broadcast. You've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. <laughs> <laughs>